Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope that you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, so let's get right at it. Later on, we're going to the vault to hear a vintage interview I did with Wolverine himself, Hugh Jackman. We don't talk about superheroes. Instead, the actor gets personal, talking about the projects that worked, the ones that didn't, and what drives him. Then, Gregory Sestero, star of the found footage film Infrared, joins in. In the film, he plays the creepy caretaker of an abandoned schoolhouse. Now, if Greg's name rings a bell, it's likely because you've attended one of those midnight madness screenings of The Room, a movie so deliciously awful it has become a cult favorite since its release in 2003. Gregory turned the experience of making the so bad it's a hoot movie into a book which eventually went on to become the Oscar-nominated movie The Disaster Artist, starring James Franco and Seth Rogen. We talk about infrared and whether or not, 20 years on, if the room is an embarrassment or a source of pride. First, though, I'll take you inside the world of the video game Tetris, the addictive puzzle video game created by Soviet software engineer Alexei Pajanov, couldn't be simpler. Stack differently shaped pieces to form a whole and you win points. But the story behind the game's success is anything but simple. A new movie called Tetris starring Taryn Egerton, written by my guest Noah Pink and now playing on Apple TV+, tells the story of how a Dutch video game designer named Hank Rogers fit the differently shaped pieces of international intrigue and video game creation together to secure the intellectual property rights to the popular game. It's a story of international intrigue, the Cold War, and of the deep friendship that grew between the entrepreneur Hank Rogers and the game's Russian creator. Noah Pink joined me via Zoom to talk about the film. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I played for five minutes. I still see falling blocks in my dreams. It's poetry, art and math, all working in magical synchronicity. It's, it's the perfect game. Tetris. 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 I don't get it. Tell me a little bit about uh, 2015. You first heard about the story. Uh, and from what I understand, you couldn't convince anyone to let you write it. So you said, well... What the heck? I'm just going to do it myself. Uh, so tell me what it was that made you take a bit of a flyer on this story. You know, I, I actually got inspiration from the story itself. Uh, if you, you know, if you watch this movie, you'll see that, you know, the main character is this guy named Hank Rogers, who, you know, really goes out of his way, uh, maybe breaks a few laws in doing so. And, uh, you know, and and puts everything on the line to try and get the rights to this new game called Tetris. Mm -hmm. um, and and so when I when I, you know, read about that and, and did a little more research on that, I was like, well, man, if he could do it, I'm going to do the same thing. And so <laughs> and so I just went off and, and, and wrote it on spec uh, with the, uh, you know, with inspiration from from the real person. And he is an inspiring uh, person. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why. I think part of it is he never says, takes no for an answer. Very important to him. Uh, he's willing to bend the rules a little bit. But I think more than all of that, it's that he saw something that he identified as uh, important 
or at least important to him, it would be important in the marketplace, uh, and and just absolutely trusted his own instinct. And that, I think, is is very inspiring. I always look at big stories like this that are very specific um, and try and tease out some sort of universal message. Why am I connecting with this character? And I think it's that idea that you believe in yourself and you believe in the thing that you're you're pursuing and all of a sudden, you know, here we go. We're, we, we've got an interesting character and we've got someone that I think a lot of people can relate to, whether they played Tetris ever or not. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's, you know, his story in, in that sense is really inspirational. Um, you know, he 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 put himself out on a very, very, very uh, steep ledge, I'd say. Uh, and you know, he didn't know if it was going to work and, and I don't want to give the movie away, but like, you know, when he, he literally risked everything to get this game, uh, and thinking that he was on solid ground only to find out he was not, but did he stop? No, he kept going. Um, and that is like, you know, that's the, that's the type of character I love to watch. Uh, and, um, and, and I'm really, you know, attracted to as a writer. You're listening to Noah Pink on the Richard Krause show. His new film Tetris is available now on Apple TV plus. Tell me a little bit about plotting, uh, a, a very complicated story like this. And I think what this movie does so well is it allows us to follow along with all the betrayals and the double crosses and the whatever i mean it it really is a, a twisty windy piece but we're hearing it through and seeing it through hank's eyes mm -hmm. and so if we have one point of view it makes it easier to follow uh instead of if we had cut around i think a little bit more it would have been very confusing very hard to follow but because we're we're on side with with hank we are following his story i think we can follow it a little bit easier yeah, that was a, you know, that that was a an iterative uh iterative kind of like process of discovery for me. Um the first the first draft I wrote, uh I believe I got to like it was like page 40 or 50 in the script and and I and I was on page 40 or 50 and Alexi had just created Tetris. Uh <laughs> and and I stopped. I re I remember that moment because I stopped I was sitting in a in a coffee shop uh and I looked around and I was like oh crap. Yeah. That was the biggest waste of the last month of my life. Well, uh, and for people that that don't know in script terms, 40 or 50 pages in is 40 or 50 minutes in probably at yes. least uh in terms of of real time in a movie. Yeah, and 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 I, you know, I think it was an important kind of, you know, uh process to go through uh to figure out like how exactly i was going to tell the story because when i got to page 40 or 50 uh you know i realized this has to be this has to be hank's story mm. uh, and 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 alexi you know alexi's story will come through but it has to come from as you said you know hank's pov um and when that kind of clicked i deleted <laughs> <laughs> started again and uh alexi uh creates tetris on page two uh which works a lot better <laughs> yeah well they always say that the the art of writing is in the rewriting but it's got to be kind of heartbreaking to delete 50 pages that you've worked on for a month and a half and just start all over again it 
It is. I mean, I, I feel like the more, the longer I do this, the less precious I am though. Um, mm, and you realize, yeah. you know, screenplays are obviously, you know, really important to the movie making process, but not the be all end all. And, um, and you can't, you just, you know, some of like my favorite scenes, uh, you know, aren't in this movie. Uh, but that's okay because like, you're not making a movie to, to tell great scenes. You're making a movie to tell a great story. And so you have to be able to kind of take a step back and look at it from 10,000 feet to see what the best version of that story is. And, and that's really hard uh, at the beginning, um, especially on first drafts. Um, but the more you do it, uh, you know, the less precious you get, I'd say. It's a combination of Tetra, Greek for four, and tennis. Tennis. The Russian inventor, he likes tennis. Hazel. Yeah. This game isn't just addictive, it stays with you. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Hank, only 10 other people in the world have seen what you're about to see. It's called the Game Boy. Package it with Tetris. Can you get us the rights? Well, I think that probably also comes with confidence. It makes it just easier to, uh, as you say, take a step back and have that that view from afar at the work and understand, you know, this isn't working and it's it's, it's just got to go. Yeah, I mean, it de it definitely does come with experience. Um, I think, you know, but it's all it's still it's still scary every time it happens. No yeah. matter no matter how long you've been doing it, um, you you know, you are always a little too close to the story. Um, and so taking that step back is, is an ego check and it's also really difficult, but, but it, but it's an important, it's an important step for sure. Tell me about doing research, uh, for this story. Yeah. I mean, I was fortunate enough to study history, um, in university. Mm -hmm. So that was, I, I had a little bit of a handle on, um, you know, 20th century geopolitics. Yeah. Um, and, did a little bit of a deep dive as well, uh, just out of general curiosity about the rise of Putin um, in the 90s. Um, and so got a sense of of the the Soviet Union that that he inherited uh, from Yeltsin um, in the late 90s. But um, but, you know, the the to be honest, you know, the the specificity uh, really came from um, meeting with Hank and Alexei. Um, and, and that was a, you know, that was a game changer when I met them, um, because they were able to, you know, give me their uh, personal recollections of what happened. And, and Alexei, you know, especially for when it comes to the Soviet Union was able to tell me, uh, what it felt like, you know, to be, gro to grow up like that, uh, to be living, uh, under a regime that was kind of going through an existential crisis in the late eighties. Um, and, you know, and obviously was just two years away from completely collapsing. Um, and so it was, you know, it was those two guys who really kind of added, added a lot of flavor to it. Tetris. 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 It's the perfect game. You're listening to screenwriter Noah Pink on The Richard Krauss Show. It's still a very popular game. Why is that? I think it really comes down to the simplicity. Mm. Um, it is on its face a very simple puzzle game but but the more you play it um you know there's you know there's basically no barrier to entry to play this game anyone can right. pick it up and right. play it um um but there's also an infinite amount of levels to mastery 
Uh, and it's that kind of perfect combination of, 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 you know, very simple yet, if you want to be good, very difficult. Um, and that is, I think that is like the magic pixie dust that, that makes this game, um, somewhat eternal. Um, and, you know, Hank, there's a moment where when he sees this game, he realizes this, you know, he's, mm. he's a game designer himself and he's, he's just come off, you know, trying to sell, uh, you know, an eight bit version of, you know, the Asian chess game known as go. Um, and you know, it was a, it was a programming miracle to basically be able to like have a computer play go at that stage in, you know, in computer right. history. And he was very proud of it, but it was very difficult to play and kind of boring. Um, and you had to know how to play go. Whereas like Tetris, you didn't have to know anything. You're like, the blocks are falling. I get it. Um, and, and so it's that, it's that like hook that really, I think, you know, gets people and it got Hank and he realized it right away. He knew that this was going to be a game for gamers, but also not, not just gamers. It was going to be a game for everybody. I think what gives the movie its heart is the the friendship that develops. Hank and Alexi become friends, and and uh, there's a, a deep relationship that forms uh, with them um, in amid all this adversity. So tell me about sketching that out. I mean, that is that that is the you know that is the hook that got me interested in the story in the first place. Um, I think you know, the, the crazy story that, you know, around, you know, getting the tetracytes, that's all fun and that's all fun and good. But, it, you know, the heart of this story is really about, you know, two guys who were brought up to see each other as very different. Mm. Uh, but, but through their shared love of gaming, you know, find common ground um, and foster this friendship, which, uh, which has lasted to this day. I mean, I was hanging out with them this morning, actually. Really? And they're still, <laughs> yeah, and they're still literally friends. It's crazy, <laughs> um, and uh, and it's so cool to see. Um, and it's you know, Hank, when I met with him the first time, you know, you know, kind of admitted to me that he was kind of at a point in his life where he had. You know, he was he was trying to get his business going. He had a lot of stresses at work. He was over leveraged. Uh, you know, he had all you know, he had remortgaged his like house, like everything was on the line for this game. And he had at a point kind of forgotten why he was doing what he mm. was doing um, because he was just so stressed out. And and it wasn't until he met Alexi um, and sat down with him and played Tetris with him that he remembered why he was doing this in the first place. Uh, and it's because he loves for the love of the game. And also just like, you know, we as adults sometimes forget the importance of play. You're listening to Noah Pink on The Richard Krause Show. His new film, Tetris, is on Apple TV Plus right now. Play is, you know, so instrumental to what makes us human. Um, but, but the everyday life sometimes gets in the way. And I think, you know, when Hank told me that, I was like, ah, okay, I can see... I can see the story, right? You know, I, I've got it. Like, say no more. <laughs> <laughs> and why was Taron Egerton the right person to play Hank? It's so, you know, Taron is one of those actors that just, you know, disappears into a role. And this was, we we shot this movie actually before um, Blackbird, uh, which is his Apple TV yeah. show. and. This was, I think, probably the first thing he did where he had um, an American accent. 
and in you know he's uh he's from wales uh and so on the surface you'd be like this is a weird fit but Taryn can do anything. It is he, it is the most miraculous thing to watch when you're on set. Um, when you watch a great actor doing doing their thing, he has the ability to disappear into a role. And um, and I think what really attracted Taryn to this role when I was speaking to him was was this idea of play. Like he's like, that's what I do all day. Like that's that's my job is is to play characters. And 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 sometimes when when you're an actor of Taryn's stature. Uh, you also, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of BS in the in the world of mm. uh, uh, in the film world. But but when it comes down to it, you do it because you love to play. And and he really, you know, I think he really um, attached to that idea. And I assume you saw you saw Hank and, and Alexi uh, earlier today. I assume they've seen the movie. What's their reaction to it? Yeah, no, they're. I think I think they're pretty chuffed. Um, they're they're they're. <laughs> they're you know it's it's they've been they've been going around I, they just showed the movie at a a gaming conference in san francisco a few days ago and which is kind of their people and i you know and when we premiered this movie together uh out south by southwest that was i think you know they'd seen it they'd seen cuts of it obviously but this was like the first time seeing it in front of a crowd and uh i think you know they were literally, you know, greeted on stage like heroes. It was, it was kind of crazy. <laughs> There's a car chase that has some eight bit video effects attitude and that kind of thing. So it kind of literally takes you into the world of, of video games uh, in what is, you know, a fairly tense part of the film. It's just kind of to remind, I think, our, us as the makers of the movie, but also the audience that like, you know, we, you know, we're all video game lovers, I think. And it's, and it's, and having a little, you know, having a little wink and a little fun is also part of, you know, part of the storytelling experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so, and so, yeah, so you'll, you'll, when you watch this movie, there'll be a lot of, you know, like little like eight bit nods throughout and little Easter eggs we're going to plant in the movie and maybe you'll pick them out. Maybe you won't, but, but it doesn't matter. Like, it's just like, you know, tonally, this is, you know, the stakes are real, but we're also having fun. I've read an interview with you where you'd said the best thing about writing is that it's free. And you alluded to this earlier uh, when we talked about writing this script on spec. Um, tell me a little bit about what that means to you. It's a, it's a world of endless possibilities. Um, mm. And and that is both daunting and, and <laughs> if you look the right way, exciting. Um, and for me, it's, it's always been, you know, I, I've always enjoyed the challenge of, of trying to, you know, start from a blank page and 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 do something um, exciting and um, and and yeah, look, nobody can stop you from writing. Um, right. That's the best part about it. So if you have an idea, um, you can go and pitch it, uh, and people can say no, but they're not going to stop you from writing it because you can still write it. And in this case, this was like this was the story of Tetris. Like I. I, uh, you know, on on its surface, it didn't seem like a very riveting story. And so I was like, well, I know it is. So let me prove it to you. I'm just going to go write it. That was screenwriter Noah Pink on The Richard Krauss Show. His film Tetris is streaming right now on Apple TV+. Plus.
Here's Gregory Sestero. He's the star of a new film called Infrared. It's a found footage horror film uh, that takes place in an old abandoned school. There's a paranormal investigator and a production crew. They've gained access to this area and they want to shoot a pilot for like a ghost hunting kind of show. And then they meet Gregory Sestero's character and let's just say things go in a slightly different direction than they had originally planned. Gregory is one of the stars of this. He's also one of the stars of the film The Room. Now, this is one of those so-bad-it's-good movies that's turned into a cult film over the years. We'll talk about that in just a little while. It is interesting to note that while The Room is considered to be one of the worst movies ever made, the film that was made about the making of The Room, it's called The Disaster Artist with James Franco and Seth Rogen, was actually nominated for Academy Awards. So there's a weird little bit of synergy happening there. Anyway, let's get to my interview with Gregory Sestero, who joined me via Zoom from Los Angeles. I want to start with asking you about Home Alone, Lost in Disney World. This is a, a script that you wrote uh, many, many years ago. I went to go see the movie Home Alone. You know, I, I wanted to live in that world. I was like so taken with it. I love the fantasy of it, kind of taking over your own home. And, um, you know, instead of go, instead of you know, doing homework and focusing on school, I started writing a sequel and I, and I got the idea to write a part for myself playing Macaulay Culkin's like older friend. Um, and I got super into, I was sketching out like chapters and like handwriting out outlines. Um, and it just took me like three, four months. And I was, I mean, at that point, you're, you know, you're 12, that's a big, chunk of your life that's right but i was i was obsessed and i was like oh my god this is this movie's gonna happen i totally believe in it i'm not gonna go back to school um because i had gone to disney world like the summer before and i was super sad to go back to school so the escape was sort of tying those two together of uh home alone disney world and i really thought like the idea of combining the magic of disney world in a film would be something that I thought would really pop. So um, I drew the cover, I tracked down John Hughes' company um, and I got the whole thing packaged and sent to him. And I swear, I, I fully thought it was gonna happen. Um, and then, um, yeah, it was basically the story was he gets on the wrong plane, he ends up in Disney World and the two bad guys are now janitors at Disney World and they see him go by, it's very similar. And then, um, you know, the whole thing goes down where I'm there on vacation with my family and we team up and, and fight them. So, oh, yeah, ultimately, I got the letter back from John Hughes. I was like, you know, I was still shocked it wasn't happening, but it was a great segue into knowing what I wanted to do. And you got to meet Macaulay Calkin years later in 2018 on his podcast. Did you talk about it on his podcast with him? Yeah, yeah. We, we wanted to do a live read of the script. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Hopefully someday we can do something with, you know, the Home Alone, uh, the Home Alone idea. That's awesome. Well, Infrared, your new film, is a, a found footage horror film about an abandoned school that something terrible has happened at it. Uh, there's a film crew that are hoping to get enough film uh, together to make a pilot uh, of a, one of those like ghost hunter kind of style television shows. Uh, and then they meet the school's caretaker. That's you. And you are not what you seem. And I've read that you said that you based this character on someone that you met when you lived on a ranch in Arizona. 
Uh, and you say when you were there during your time there, that some pretty strange things happened uh, while you were there. What's the story on that? Yeah, I was living in um, in a small town in Arizona while I was uh, writing an, another horror film I was making um, called Miracle Valley, which is about mm. a cult. And I had met this guy who was running properties in that area. And um, just the whole vibe of it, the more I got to know the person, the way the whole experience played out, um, it had a weird, like, paranormal feel to it as if this guy believed he was several other people um and he'd refer to people as as if they were real and i just thought like the whole thing was so traumatic in a lot of ways and so bizarre that once i left that area i was like i got to do something with this creatively and i hung on to it and i just thought about this character and wrote even wrote out scenes of what his past might be and then when i got approached to do this movie, I was like, oh, I'm going to step right into the shoes of this mind that I've been trying to understand for the past couple of years. And I'm just going to go for it and throw myself into it and see what happens. You're listening to Gregory Sestero on The Richard Krause Show. Find Infrared, his found footage horror film, wherever you legally download and buy movies. Interesting to have that backstory already in place because this is by and large an improvised movie, I understand. So uh, you've, you're coming in here, though, like fully loaded, I guess, with all this character work already done. Yeah, and that was really helpful. And it also it was really fun. Um, they gave me a lot of flexibility mm-hmm. in, in what, what I could do and what I could bring to the table. And uh, it was one of the first times I was able to just... Um, you know, just go for it in a way that I could surprise the filmmakers. You know, a lot of times everything is really structured, rehearsed. Right. And this was something that was really engaging and fun because I could just take them on a ride of whatever I was trying to do and and utilize these really strange kernels of experiences that I've collected over the years. Um, and therapeutic in a way, I think acting out as somebody who's caused you stress or trauma is a way to you know, to, to get out there. I'm setting up a camera that has infrared capacity, which allows you to see in the dark. I didn't know what I was doing. That's why he died. My interest has always been trying to set that dark realm free. Spirit, we summon you to commune with us in this space. The Room remains part of your life. That movie still has an enormous following. There's still screenings. Uh, people still treat it as a, a cult film. Are you ever surprised at the longevity? Yeah, it's approaching 20 years. And Isn't that I, crazy? I, I, didn't, I didn't think anybody would ever see the film. Um, and it's just sort of a, a testament to the beauty of, of art is you just don't know what's going to click with people. And, you know, I kind of just threw in the towel. I'm like, hey, you know, originally I was always embarrassed for people to see it or be like, oh, oh yeah, that's a, that's a different, it's a, it's a movie, you know, I, I, I survived it, but, um, you know, all these years later, it did something that, you know, people still love. So it's going to, it's going to be there and it's great. It's great that people appreciate it. And then for me, it's embracing that and just continuing to go on and have fun and make, make new films. 
you don't often get to be part of something that becomes part of like really the broad conversation. You have to embrace it. I'm sure that there have been times when you didn't want to, but uh, the, the Ohio Mark meme was so ubiquitous for a while that uh, it, 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 it pierced pop culture in a way that really few other movies do. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's one of those things. I mean, I knew there was humor and comedy when we were making it and I, I, got a kick out of it but i never thought it would become something that yeah people it'd be a fabric of people's everyday life and that's um i mean that's what you hope to do when you make a film that was gregory sestero on the richard kraus show you can find his film infrared wherever you legally download and buy movies Every now and again, I like to dig back into the interview vault and pull out something from a few years ago that i really enjoyed this is hugh jackman I interviewed him the day after I hosted the Canadian premiere of a film called Real Steel. In the movie was a young guy whose family happened to be in the audience that night. So I began this interview with Hugh Jackman, asking him if he had ever had that moment when his entire family gathered to see him in something. And it got us off on a tangent. Here's Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I do. Probably the first time I did something my entire family came to was when I was in London doing Oklahoma at the National Theatre. And probably for me at that point, my dreams as an acting student were weirdly around the Royal Shakespeare Company, the National, the English. I held the English standard up to be the pinnacle. And when I was at the National Theatre, uh, I, I was like, wow, that's kind of, that's my dream. I, I I haven't really worked anything else out. It wasn't so much Hollywood. So when my whole family were there, that was that was very, very special for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I had, it was a bit of an accident, but I did a show called The Boy From Oz um, and Peter, I, Allen. Peter Allen. Now, I'd been offered it four years before and it turned it down because I'd made this choice, this strategy to get into film, right? Which is what I was, I was always an actor and had somehow got into musicals. Anyway. When I saw the show, I, I knew it was going to be great, by the way. When I saw the show, it was as I knew, and I felt sick in the stomach because I was like, you didn't follow your gut instinct. You know, you thought you were doing the right thing, and, and it was really a difficult night for me, and it stayed with me. When they asked me, I think it was three or four years later, I said yes. I hadn't even told my agent about it. I said, yes, I'm in. And then we opened. We got really bad reviews. I mean, we were killed. We got killed. And there was a real moment of like, will we make it or will we not? Will we survive the winter? Um, we, we, it then picked up and actually became a massive hit. And the people who reviewed it badly a year later were reviewing it as this great smash hit. It was kind of interesting. But two things I learned from that. Even after the bad reviews, even after I, I still knew in my gut that it worked. I was on stage. I... I kind of didn't believe him. I was like, hmm, I think you got it wrong. I, it's your opinion, fine, but I think you got it wrong. And secondly, if we failed, I was okay with it. Right. I have done other things, which obviously I don't want to tell yeah, you yeah, specifically, yeah. Yeah. where I'd been not so sure, maybe I thought it was strategically the right thing, and when it came out, it wasn't what I wanted or what I thought it might have been. Right. It's really hard to live with. It's hard to face yourself in the mirror because you think you did it all for the wrong reason. So that was the turning point for me. You seem to have this kind of unique career mm. for me now where you can make the Wolverine movies and then the, in the very next breath, 
do something, you know, all singing, all dancing. I don't know that there's any other career out there like it. It started more as a way to stave off unemployment. I'll, I'll be honest. When I came out of drama school, I was like, I'm going to do anything I can, man, just to keep working. And look, you're in Australia. Maybe similar here, but probably not because of the proximity to America. But in Australia, they probably make, at best, 15 movies a year. You cannot... If you do one, if you do two a year, you're like the biggest working actor in Australia. Right. And the budgets are probably small. Of course, know. there's no living to be made, really. You cannot say, I'm going to be a film actor. I'm not doing TV. Yeah. I'm not going to do theatre or this or that. You've got to do everything. Right. Um, and that's... So I kind of... I had a facility to do a number of different things. So I just kept working at all of them as a way to kind of spread the yeah. <laughs> chances of unemployment, yeah, yeah. you know. So... It sort of fell into a strength. It became, I, I didn't really mean it to be that, except that I found a drama school. I was happy and loved that eclecticism and the ability. Like in, in drama school, you do Shakespeare, to movement, to circus skills, to singing all in one morning. Yeah. And I know a lot of people hated it, and, and I've, I reveled in it. I loved it. So... That's sort of, it's weird how it's evolved. You know? You're listening to my interview with Hugh Jackman. Have you always been someone who's just jumped in and said, you know what, if I'm yeah. going to do this, I'm going to be the guy that does, you know. I'm gonna be I've the always guy. been the jump in first guy. Yeah. Uh, there's a number of reasons why. My dad taught me an amazing work ethic. He never took one day off in his life. Now, he had five kids who was bringing up on his own. So, you know, if anyone deserved a day off, it was my old man. <laughs> He never did. He just had that, just keep going, working, work hard. I mean, old school. Like, if you've got a headache, there was no, like, take a headache tablet. It's like, well, why have you got a headache? Get a bit early. You know, it's a whatever. So I learned that from him. Also, I think as a kid, being the youngest, you're terrified of missing out on things. Like, the whole, your whole life feels like, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. What my brothers are doing for another two years, which is an eternity. So I always wanted to do stuff and not be left out. And I was quite a fearful kid, which I hated. I was scared of the dark. I was scared of heights. I was, there was a period of time my mum had left. I was always the first one home. I would not even go into the house until someone else came home. So I would sit out on the stoop, right? You know, and I, I hated it. So I've always had this fear of fear. And if, like a drama school, you know, it's sort of, it's a weird thing to think back now, but it's a pressure kind of situation. People get kicked out of drama school. You're constantly being judged how you're doing. Are you progressing? Are you not? And how you look, I guess, and all that stuff, right? That, not so much. Right. Not a drama school. Not a mine, anyway. Right. But you were constantly being judged. So there were almost every day, all right, let's get up and do this monologue, sing this song, do it in front of everybody. I noticed I was always first. I never wanted to sit there waiting for, and, and I would see some people, they were like, mm, don't pick me first, don't put my, you know, I want to see five, six other people. And I'm not saying that out of courage, it was more like, I hate this feeling, I'm getting up. I'm just going to get up and I'm going to do it, you know. And, and so I remember one of, the, one of the girls in class said to me, after about a year and a half, I remember Jeanette, she said, you always get up first, like, you know, why don't you let other people get up? I says, anyone can get up. I said... I said, if you want to get up, you put your hand up. I've got no problem. I said, but I'm not going to wait five seconds. I said, because I just want to do stuff. So, and I remember hanging back for a little while. I said, like, all right. So I'd wait five seconds. I'd count to five in my head. All right, all right I'm up. That's it. It was, it was too uncomfortable to sit, yeah. stewing over 
that. So yeah. anyway, I, I don't think I've told anyone else that. It's interesting. When I started acting, uh, I was the dunce of the class. This is, I went to two drama schools. I did one for a year. I was definitely, I was way too perky. And hey, everyone else had beaten leather jackets, was smoking in every break, seemed to be way more tortured, they carried their demons on their face, you know, and I always seemed way too, nah, nah, nah. I just didn't fit in. And every time I did something in class, I could see the teachers rolling their eyes. It was, I wasn't sure what it was, but I was not cutting it. And I never, it was a very lonely feeling and kind of best thing that could have happened to me because, you know, I saw... Have you seen the Brady Six? Yeah. All right. I watched that the other day and it really gave me an insight. It's almost like I still feel like I'm 191st pick in the draft. Yeah. Probably from that beginning of drum school, that feeling of it. And the way it turned around was I finally stopped caring about what the teachers thought. So I've never forgotten that. But there's always that feeling of like, okay... I've got to work harder than everyone else. It's not like I'm born with... I'm not born Philip Seymour Hoffman. I've got to just work harder. So I'm prepared to do it. That was my From the Vault interview with Hugh Jackman. He's always such a pleasure to speak to. If you ever have the chance to interview anyone, your choice of anyone, choose him. He's a great conversationalist. So a big thanks to Hugh Jackman for hanging around the vault and providing us with some cool insight to his career. Big thanks to Noah Pink. Find his movie Tetris on Apple TV+. Big thanks to Greg Sestero. But of course, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon.